Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? LPN Deep Dives presents A Court of Thorns and Roses. With Natalie Jean and Jackie Zabrowski. High lady's got her tattoos. Oh, yes, she does. I am. Ugh, I'm feeling... <laughs> my problem is I'm trying to get into the spirit of Racina, but, like, I've got the, like, stink of Elphaba on yeah, me. I mean, you are a perfect shade for Elphaba. And not my hands, all right? I talked about it. I was like, should I green my hands as well? For those of you that can't see me yet, I'm green, bottle be bobble by, but also, I'm flying high. No! Gravity. No! You're not Alphaba. Man, I am going to listen to so much Wicked after this. I have to. Now it's in it's in my spirit. At least this is probably non-toxic paint like un, like the uh, people who were in The Wizard of Oz, the original one. They were all wearing, and they were all wearing lead. Oh, it makes it's them asbestos. stronger. They're fine. I think it, it gave them cancer. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I think that this is just regular grease paint. And say that to um, my poor bathroom. <laughs> oh, man. is Are there green fingerprints all over my You know, I, I really support your commitment to our show. I'm sure Jeff loves it. Honestly, yeah, I think I unlock something. Oh, no. <laughs> he's into the green? He's, he's into the green. I had no idea. I sent him a picture and he was just like, whoa, are you going to have that on later? I was like... I hope not. <laughs> I'm certainly going to try and scrape it off of my face and my neck. Is it a witch fetish? Yeah, I think it's like that. And also, like, we, like I think it's like also like like a demon kind of thing. Mm. And I think it's like that kind I of see, like, I see. you know. He's also a monster fucker. Well, he doesn't like the title monster fucker <laughs> because he says that, like, he's a very selective, you know. Right. I think he's more of like a unique fucker. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I think that he just likes, although, you know, I, I, I as Alba I couldn't fit in. All right. <laughs> I don't know if the title of unique fucker is better than monster Yeah, you unique fucker. Get out. Hey, well, yeah, well, how do you, how do you get a rabbit? A unique rabbit. Unique up on him. Oh, no. Unique up on him. 
I did a whole list of celebrity puns during page seven last week or a couple of weeks ago, and nobody liked it. And that was, I think, Samuel Jackson's joke. Well, you just workshop them here. <laughs> you go right on ahead. <laughs> Thank you. Audience, you will listen. You will Thank listen you. to everyone. I'm not popular, but I am defying gravity. What's that mean? Oh, is that from these wicked, wicked references? Mm. They're just wicked all right. No references. more. We're all right, not no, in yeah, I'm never gonna bring We're it up. Not again. in wicked. We're I'm in Valaris. Gonna bring it up again. I don't trust that look on your face. I think you're lying to me. I will say that I did scoop up my dress real. You see all the green that's all over my black dress. <laughs> I don't know what this makeup is, but it's it, it does not stay. You know, it's better that it doesn't stay. You know, because yeah. it, it, if it stays, it stays for all. Oh, long and then time. it's there. Oh, yeah, and then it'll be really interesting for my stream later on today. Or maybe it's gonna stay here. Maybe I'm just gonna green all over everything. Go, oops, I green. <laughs> oops, I greened all over oh, it. What are we gonna do? <laughs> Hold in. Okay, we <laughs> got to get in here. All right, well, let's let's dig in, guys. We've got a, a new, new book. book. Do you see how I'm gesticulating a lot because I have the tattoos on? You're doing the opposite. Of, in fact, I need you to be my hands so that I don't show my my shame. Yeah, I'm, Be my hands! I am ashamed of your hands. Disgust I know. me. Well, I also didn't do my ears either because I didn't want to have green pain in my ears. I think you made the correct choice. Thank you. Just or am I not defecated? Dev- defecated? <laughs> or am I not shitting all over this studio? <laughs> <laughs> We, oh, we shit. Were, we oh, shit. Oh, we want. We needed to have a meeting about that, by the way. About my defecation? Yeah. Oh, uh-oh, sorry. <laughs> I uh, eat too much fiber. <laughs> Before we get into this book, actually, I had a question I was thinking about earlier. Ooh. Whenever you were the elf on that Nickelodeon show. Yes. Did you wear elf ears? Did you have ears? No, we didn't have ears. You didn't have ears. Okay. No, but we also like had to stay in character because it was a kids show. We weren't allowed to break character mm-hmm. in front of the kids, so we were supposed to pretend like we were Santa's elves the entire time. And then like I just remember this kid like looked me dead in the eyes and was just like, "You're not an elf." Stop lying. And I was like, whoa, whoa, you are seven. I had no idea. And I was like, you're right. I was like, I'm giving it to you. I'm going to stop lying to you. You're right. And he's like, what's your real name? And I was like, you're going to have to pay me 20 bucks. <laughs> um, and he didn't have 20 bucks, so he never found out my real name. And wow, then he looked at idiot. the call sheet. What a dumb kid. And then he looked at the call sheet. Oh, he's smart. Jazzy isn't Jazzy. She's Jackie, which sounds a lot like Jazzy. All right, well, I opened a whole can of worms here. I was just wondering about the ears. Oh, my trauma! (laughs) Okay, we're in a new book. We're in A Court of Frost and Starlight? Yeah. Why does that sound wrong to me? I think it's because it's such a short book and we just like never say the name of the fourth book. We just say the fourth one, the short one, the Christmas special. Akafas. Fast, I go fast. Well, I go slow. <laughs> See, I'm workshopping them. I know we're gonna get them all through the episode, and you will listen and like every single one like of it. them. Um. Okay. So in this book, she uh, has a new structure story, uh, a new structure of the way the story goes. Basically, there's a new story structure. Or there's a new, new story, story structure. structure. Uh, she's 
prepared us a little bit with a couple chapters from Rizan's perspective in the last two books. So it's not the first time we've left Feyre's head. Right. But very few. And also, if anybody has read the bonus chapter uh, from Cassian's POV, that also was in third person. But we haven't really discussed the bonus chapter. No. And I know not all of you have, have read it. It's very easy to find if you just want to Google it on the internet. You could say Akam Math bonus chapter, Cassian bonus chapter. It'll show up. Um, but it takes place, that bonus chapter takes place during the time of A Court of Mist and Fury. And it's classified as a deleted scene. Mm. So I'm not really sure she intended it to be in the book or if it was really just a teaser that she was writing for Silver Flame. Um, I want to talk about that chapter more once we get to Silver Flames, but this is the first time in the series we have a third-person perspective. Um, I did also want to throw out there that Sarah J. Moss is going to be doing this, like, virtual talk back, um, which I'm very excited about. But it is about Crescent City and not about Akatar. But also, she made a warning that it's full of spoilers. Spoilers! The book's not out yet. I know, and I'm like, I want to... I want to go to this talk, but I don't know if I want a bunch of spoilers. Yeah, I don't know why they would do a spoiler-laden talk before anyone's read the book. Yeah. So, but still, I'm just throwing it out there in case, you know, our mass heads out there wanna, want to want to. The just, mass holes. The, please. Yes. With their donkeys. Sarah J. Moss, if you just uh, Google Sarah J. Moss live talks, Los Angeles, you can find it. I wish we could go to it live. That'd I knew. I did look to see if there were tickets because I was going to be like, surprise, Natalie, I did this cool thing. And then I didn't and I failed. No, no. You didn't have to tell me about it because I'm sad. Yeah. I wanted. That's what my hope was. It was like, I'm going to. You know what? Today, I'm going to make Natalie sad. Yeah. It's time to get upset today. No, this book. Fiero will never love me. Oh. Oh, what did I say, Jackie? No more. Fiero. She doesn't exist in the I'm sorry, world. different world, different world. And Do they live also... on Earth? No. I don't think so. Where do they live? In like a fake world. I think like in a world like this that lives adjacent. So technically they could exist in the mass extended universe. They could. Okay. That's good to know. They could. Well, yeah, they're not like going to, but they go to like college and stuff. I think they more would live in like the Crescent City world. Mm, just throwing that out there. Okay. I know we don't, we're not, we're, I'm talking about Crescent City right now. I'm sorry. I know you get upset. We're not saying it anymore. I tell you what. I just read this scene between Hunt Athalar and Bryce, and wow. I think I know which one you're oh, talking about. Wow. Um. So yes. So we're now we're not going. Th- this book is very tame compared to the other books, but it's very important to the characterization of all of them. Yes. Yes. And. This little, this tiny mini book takes place in a time of relative peace after the events of Accord of Wings and Ruin. So this is post-battle, post-war, and we're getting new perspectives from several of the characters. Due to its shortness and its lack of a three-part story structure, it's often referred to as the holiday special or the bottle episode. But I feel like that takes away from how important it is to the characters. I agree, but it's also funny. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's not, <laughs> it, it, there's not, it's not like war, it's a wartime. It's like, 
It just is. It is during the it's Christmas. Sol- it's solstice. Yeah. I'm sorry. There's no Christ in There's this no world. There's no Christ in the Fabe world, which is why I think we love it. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Um, in interview, uh, SJM has said that she actually wrote this book before she finished A Court of Wings and Ruin because mm. she really wasn't ready to leave Prithian. And it was almost an exercise for her to introduce herself to some of the characters more intimately. She's also said, and I believe this is true of many fantasy fiction authors, um, that she's she feels like she's learning about them in real time as though they're manifesting and introducing themselves to her. So she sort of wrote A Court of Frost and Starlight in that way for her to transition from Feyre's mind into the bigger land of Prithian's world because she had already decided she wanted to learn the other characters. My face is itchy. <laughs> and I can't touch it or else I'm going to get grease paint on my fingers and then I'm going to get it all over my computer. Do you want... I could give you a stick to scratch with. Do you have a stick? I mean, maybe. I have a lot of crap usually in my bag. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just use your car keys. You want to... Um... You could scratch with this. Oh, yeah. Maybe? It's not very sharp. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's it. That's how you do it. I'm just doing tiny bops. Tiny bops. <laughs> ah! How do people do this every day? Uh, you mean like in shows? Yeah, and like, 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 I think specifically I'm thinking about Jim Carrey in The Grinch, even though that was way worse and he had to undergo like training well, if you to get through it. If you, if you recall, he was miserable on that set and he hated his life. Yeah. He wanted to die. Yeah. Um, if you ever watch any of the behind the scenes on The Grinch, he's a real Grinch because he, it was miserable to put on that makeup every day. So, yeah, this book was her way of transitioning into the Prithian universe outside of Feyre's mind. And which is a lot of fun. And I wasn't yeah. expecting it at all of like getting into other people's minds. Well, I mean, Reese, they peppered in. But yeah. if she hadn't finished it yet, that makes a lot of sense. So she was already having fun with that and then added it into A Court of Mist and Fury. Yeah, because initially when she was writing uh, Court of Thorns and Roses in those first books, she hadn't planned on doing the extended world, but then she really wanted to know more about the other characters. And I think a lot of her um, li- her readers are would be grateful yes. that she decided to do that. I certainly like Silver Flame. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. What? What? Um, oh, man, we're going to be so horny when we talk about Silver Flame. It's hard to not. The whole book is. Meow. So now we're in the Prithian extended universe. Knowing this about the process she went through this book makes a lot more sense it is almost preparing us to get away from Feyre's brain because in this book we do have some Feyre chapters but we're also now being reintroduced to Mm Rizan who are both still in first person but now we're adding third person limited chapters from Cassian Morgan and one tiny little bitty part from Nesta's perspective that's really only about two pages. Oh, but we're going to get so much more. We will. This is sort of a non-common storytelling structure, but I wouldn't call it third-person omniscient because usually that means that it's like a god figure that can see inside of everyone's Well, it's head. separate from inside of their brain. It wouldn't be from their perspective. So this would be third-person limited, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm just. Maybe you'll, you'll tell me literature majors, but Jackie, you're saying I'm right. I mean, it is a limited, uh, you know, perspective, no matter what. So omniscient was always coming from like a 
above, above someone that knows yeah. what everybody's thinking. So I actually, I mean, I prefer, I like having things for, like, it says so much more about the character and the plot when you are getting that perspective from, like, inside of their brain, which I think adds so much more to the story, which is part of the reason why I love these books mm. already. Like, I love, I get that omniscient narrator out of here. Get him out. Uh, yeah, and I actually will talk obviously more about Silver Flame when we get there, but I really enjoyed the structure that she does in there that's in third person, and we'll go a little bit more into that. But this is a little bit more cut and dry, where each chapter has the person's name at the top, and yes. so you know immediately. So you don't have to guess. So, out of curiosity, I wanted to see the ratio of everybody in the 28 chapters in this book, and there are 16 chapters from Farah's first person, there's seven from Reese's first person. Three from Cassian's third, and two from Morgan's third person, and then Nesta's little two pages third person actually take place during Cassian's chapter, so she doesn't even get her own chapter, which is an interesting little addition. Mm. Like I said, we are at the we're in the aftermath of the war with Highburn. The Night Court has come back to Valaris, triumphant, shell shocked, but still alive. Ugh. That post-war glow you that know? everybody has. Because <laughs> um, they're covered in blood. Yeah, 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 yeah. And just like profusely sweating because they can't believe they're still alive. I get a blood facial, so maybe they were glowing. Man, oh, you get the blood from bats, right? No, it's from my body. Yeah, PR, PRP facial. You're a witch. You're a witch. It is very witchy, and I enjoy that they take your, take your own blood out and then put it on your put face. Put it back in. They say, well, yeah, they clean it up. Or do they dirty it up? They spin out the plasma, and then they, they use part of the blood. I don't even know what that means. It's science. <laughs> Listen, it's science, okay? Oh, it's science. You know, it's science. So a few months have passed since the war, and chapter one is from Feyre's POV as she's looking on at Valaris from the dining room of the townhouse, watching a snowfall. Ding dong, dee doo dee doo. It is weird rereading this right now when we when it is a hundred degrees outside. We're about to be hit with a hurricane. Um, don't even get oh, think oh when. I'm not talking about books. Do I love talking about weather? Am I following this hurricane very closely? Yes, I am. Almost became a meteorologist, Jackie Zabrowski. But I won't talk about the hurricane anymore right now, but I want everyone to know I'm thinking about the hurricane. Do you know about different kinds of snow? Mm, no. Well, then you're, I, you're useless <laughs> to me. But I was, I mean, but my high school was, the, like, our mascot was the hurricane. And so every time you would play, they had to play the in, in entirety. Here I am! Rock you like a hurricane! That is a weird mascot to have in a place where people die in hurricanes all the yeah. time. Yeah! That's bizarre. <laughs> Very strange. Yeah, but you know, it's kind of like cute. We weren't, we didn't have many teams worth anything, so it was fine. I wonder if somebody's going to have a COVID mascot soon. Uh, isn't it funny? <sighs> <laughs> I mean, you know, all they, they, when they really brought out all those 9 11 mascots, that's when I was <laughs> like, I think this has gone too far. Probably in 100 years there will be. All right, here we go. And it's nearly winter, it's nearly winter solstice, as we learn in this first chapter. And that also means it's almost Feyre's birthday. Oh, she's got complicated feelings about her birthday. Hashtag same girl. Same Z's. Can relate. Can relate. No, I actually don't. My birthday's fine. 
Uh, this first chapter somewhat serves us with a recap of the last book's events, as well as orienting us with the timeline. She mentions in the first few pages, as she reminisces to herself, that she had first met Tamlin almost two years from the date that she's in this book. In the equivalent to January, I All think. of this stuff has happened in two years. I know, it's wild. That's insane. She also notes it's been almost a year since her disastrous almost wedding to Tamlin, when Rizan had claimed his bargain in the wow. 11th hour, when she internally cried out for help. So we're a year past that in a court of Frost and Starlight. I, I keep forgetting the name of it. It's okay. You can just say Akafas. Africa. And I'm always going to say Agoslo. <laughs> and you're, it's never going to bother you, and you're going to love it every single time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In the present of the book, she is thinking about how happy she is to have her mate and her court in this beautiful life and can hardly believe it. It's a casual chapter meant to set the scene of their domestic life. The, for the moment, they're still trying to put the world back together. It's not like they're just like chilling now. But, they're but preparing, it's a holiday. Yeah, they're preparing for the solstice and they take that seriously. And it's one that Feyre is actually excited about as opposed to some in the past where she had to play courtier and lord's wife. And also all those years where she was like starving. But, right, uh, poor and they didn't have any food and stuff. But boy, was she painting. Well, actually, no, the humans don't celebrate, remember? They don't oh, have holidays. That's right. That's right. They don't believe in anything, which I feel like is pretty fun. You know? Hell yeah, man. I mean, it's bleak, but I think that it really comes from a bleakness that usually religion provides hope for so many people. Well, at least have a holiday, even if you're not religious. Yeah. Like celebrating the earth or whatever. Yeah. Which I think is what they kind of do with the solstice here. The first person that Feyre encounters as she walks to the kitchen is Nuala, who is making a pie. As she speaks with Nuala about the coming festivities, we're also reminded of the end of the war where she th- she's thinking about when Rizan died and Ugh. she accentuates in her mind how unbearable it was. Man, if I died and then came back, I would bring it up in every fight I had with my husband. I'd be like, I died and I came back. You should be happy that I'm back. You're upset with I me? I fixed the cauldron with my body. Yes. You can never be upset with me ever again. Yeah, I mean, you definitely should take advantage of uh, of that and be as uh, horrible as possible. Horrible as possible. <laughs> uh, she she thinks about how she's still afraid it's all not real, and her her dreams are filled with these moments that he didn't survive, and and he, she relives it over and over. So though both her and Reese are still recovering emotionally from the end of that violent and deadly war, they have work to keep them occupied. So she is definitely going back and forth between the sort of gratitude and and joy and fear. And I I think that we can all relate to that, too. When sometimes you have a nice thing, you're like, it's going to go away. It's going to go away. When is the other shoe going to drop? Yeah. She and she is grateful for the work because I sometimes dreaded the quiet, idle days when all those thoughts snared me at last, when there was nothing but me in my mind. And that memory of Reese lying dead on the rocky ground, the King of Highburn snapping my father's neck, all those Illyrians blasted out of the sky and falling to earth as ashes. I understand. I have a bad day at work sometimes, and I'm like, how do I let this go? Yeah, no, I get it. I, ugh. Ugh. Sometimes when you record and you're like, I don't feel the best about that episode. Like, I understand her. Yeah, it's pretty much the same. It's like our podcast isn't good that one day, and it does feel like thousands of Valyrians falling to this. Mm-hmm. To the and ground my daddy's ash. neck being snapped. 
Oh, uh, ouchie. She nah, knows- he's got a rubber neck, my dad. I've tried, believe me. <laughs> oh, tried. man. <laughs> While he's sleeping. <laughs> she knows she won't be able to push it away forever, but for now she is contented being able to see and touch her mate every day. Yeah. Nuala speaks with Feyre about how the solstice goes in Valaris, and Nuala gives her the basic rundown that the solstice is essentially especially important in the night court due to it being the longest night of the year. Yeah. Pharaoh is relieved that it's generally celebrated in an intimate way with only close friends and family, and that those people exchange gifts with one another on top of the eating and drinking and dancing. That sounds great. Yeah. Nuala also explains that there is a temple ceremony that some people attend that involves sitting in the darkness all night as a way to reflect, but clarifies that her, her twin, and Rizan don't find it peaceful due to their imprisonment. (laughs) You know... I tried not to look too relieved that I wouldn't be dragged to a temple for hours as I nodded. It's. I feel like it was made me laugh because I feel like it is pointed like she's talking about her having to be dragged to temples. Oh, my God. My mom was in the friggin' <laughs> church choir. And the only time we ever had to go, we would have to go for midnight mass on yeah. Christmas. And then every time the dude up there would just be like, Oh, I really wish that the church would be filled other times of the year besides Christmas. And I'm like, why am I fucking here? Get me out of here. Oh, we're going to church tonight. Oh, good. Is it extra long because it's Christmas? Oh, even better. No offense to anybody who likes it. I'm sorry. No, I think if you find solace in it, good for you. I think that's great. Good for you. I love that for you. I love that for you. Yeah, I I love that journey for you. I think that uh, you go on. Go on away from me. In case we weren't being condescending. <laughs> um, Favor goes up to her bedroom and gets dressed in a sweater and leggings. This is my <laughs> my outfit, oh, my casual. Fera. Show off that. Show, let's see them hands. What? what oh, oh, oh my God! Hand model Natalie Jean. Honestly, the the gloves look really good on camera. It does look like you drew it on your hands. The Red Fox shop is where I uh, got these. And, um, oh, no, now I'm looking at all the Etsy shops. Oh, no, get the away from the Etsy. Get away look from the Bebe stuff. Look at this dress. Oh, my God. Look at that dress. Ooh, Starfall dress. Oh, Bros, when we go to the Starfall I I'm already thinking about outfits. Oh, I'm already dreaming about Ooh, outfits. Ooh, I like this dress. Honestly, it's for the best. Thank God we've got the Starfall ball because, you know, like, you know the times when you're just, like, idly looking at your phone shopping for things you don't need? Now I have something to, like, look for rather than me just actually buying things that I don't need. I'm like, this is just me doing... Uh, work for work. It is, though. Yeah, it's for work. Write it off. Feyre makes sure to note that she is in an outfit that she's super comfortable in. She's in a sweater and leggings and some fashion for her that is, I'm sure, still very lovely on her. But she doesn't have to be put into, like, huge, overwhelming gowns all the time. I'm also into this fashion, though. Like, comfy fashion? Yes. So sexy, you know? Of course it is. Because, like, what's under the sweater? But she also has got like her leggings and her boots and stuff and oh, what's girl. under the sweater. Yeah, man. Boobs. Horse girl. Boobies. Press her under there. 
as she walks through this day, there is a constant back and forth of in her, her internal battle of her happiness and the intrusive thoughts of the traumas of war, reminding us that this is just past this battle. In this first chapter, Rizond is away doing his high lord's business, and she notes that their be- shared bedroom is beginning to feel a little cluttered with both of their belongings as well as their two work desks. Get the work desks out of the bedroom! I mean, that's that is definitely... the last place you're supposed to have your work desks. Yeah, very much recommend not doing that if you have the opportunity to not have your work desk in your bath in your bedroom. Not not a good plan for them. I don't no. know why they decided to do that. And also you have an enti- entire estate. I know. Take a different room. What are you talking about? What are they talking about? What are you talking about? I just uh oh. Where my papes at? <laughs> oh no. Yeah, the, come on, boys. The newsies back. <laughs> um so she also notes that uh, they have also their various weapons, of course. And has she tried the container store? I don't know. Uh, where, where else are you going to put them? I mean, we need to organize these things up a little bit. It's not like they don't have, they've don't. got the money for the container store. Right. Don't even get me started on how expensive the container store is. She notes a, quote, wicked-looking mace that reads... Wicked? Oh, no. Yeah. I am uh. defying gravity. I'm flying high, I'm defying gravity, and you'll never let me down. Somebody stop her. I'll keep going. I mean, your voice is lovely. I wish that I we mean, had... I'm no alpha bub. We all know I can't be in a uh, a dean a dean de zeal. <laughs> How many layers that was? Idina Menzel, but when John Troy introduced <laughs> her as a deal de zeem, that's what it was. Yes, it was very funny in that moment. Um, I love that moment so much. <laughs> Not this moment, but that moment. Hilarious. <laughs> Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So she found this this like absurd sort of like um, medieval looking weapon and thinks about how she doesn't know how it got there, but she imagines somehow Cassian had something to do with it because mm. he loves his weapons. Yeah. Also, they have their swords and their quivers and arrows everywhere. Oh, they're quivers. Yes, they're quivering. Honestly, I feel the same way about quiver as I do uh, loincloth. Very into the word loincloth. You're into it? Yeah. Hmm. Or breech cloth. Whoa. What's under there? Dicks. Dicks. Dicks and breasts. I guess if you have a loincloth, if your loincloth is all the way up to your breasts, I mean, I'm sorry. I think that's just a shirt. <laughs> oh, that's a shirt. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so their old townhouse has begun to feel cluttered, it turns out, because Elaine is still living there and... The pe- the other inner circle's always coming and staying, and Farrah's just sort of making note of that. Like, oh, we're we're kind of getting filled up here, even though Nesta uh, has decided to live across town. Uh, even though she does mention that she tried to keep Nesta in the house, but she said no. She wanted to move away from the family. I do find this crazy because this is coming from someone that literally lived in a one-room shack with four other people for most of her life. And then, bam, two years later, this castle is too small. You know what? I need more castle. Oh, <laughs> I see. For Feyre. I thought you meant Nesta. Honestly. No, no. For Feyre. Yeah. Um, no, Nesta probably wants small. No, I say lean into it. If you're, if you're, if you've made it, you own that you want more castle. You're right. Never enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Nesta though has decided she wants to go somewhere else. Lucian has as well because it's her. As it turns out, he has taken up an apartment in Valaris. Whoa, he doesn't you, want to go back to Tamlin, Daddy. Yeah, because if you remember at the end of Wings and Ruin. That last little scene, he was debating on where he was going to go, and it turns out he did move into Valaris. But yeah, so Nessa's apartment of choice is it leaves something to be desired. Uh, For reasons unknown at this time in this chapter, she's decided to live in the crappiest place Valaris permits, though we won't hear the details about it just yet. But Feyre notes Lucian's apartment is perfectly nice, and, and we learn that he took up the residence there after a quick trip to the spring court. When he returned, it was clear that Tamlin had beat the shit out of him, which is not cool. No, it's not. And also Tamlin, just like like the second, like every time there's a second of like shades of gray and then you do something like that. And it's like, man, fuck you, dude. His his temper is very juvenile. Yes. It's so unattractive. But he's like 500 years old. Get you over grow it. Grow up, Bob. Yes. Even still, Elaine and Lucien don't seem to be making any headway, even though they're in the same city together, and in fact barely seem to be acknowledging each other. Yet even with Lucian and Nesta staying in their own apartments, the townhouse was a bit small these days. Even more so if more Cassian and Azriel stayed over. And the House of Wind was too big, too formal, too far from the city proper. Nice for a night or two, but I loved this house. Is this perhaps foreshadowing? 
too big, too small, but just the right mm, size right somewhere. So she is all three of the bears. <laughs> Feyre isn't a woman. She, I'm sorry. She's, I think the houses would technically be the bears. The ho- Oh, the houses would be the she's bears. She's like Goldilocks. Oh, I guess she is like Goldilocks. I guess that makes more sense in the fairy tale world and not that she would be the bears. You can call her the bear, though. But wouldn't it be so cute? And then she's all like, yes, chef. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you're changing. Making, I'm referencing a different. You're having a referencing overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! It's honestly maybe that was this like six layers of reference. Yeah, maybe this is. It might be lead paint. I think that I'm eating <laughs> lead paint. I think that I am hallucinating. I don't know where I am. I don't know what I'm doing. We're at. We're recording a podcast that people <laughs> have to listen to. <laughs> um. So. Even though it's crowded, she genuinely is looking forward to having Solstice there with her loved ones, which I also enjoy hosting a party in my home. Oh, yeah. She contemplates speaking to Reese about hiring a secretary. And Reese reaches out down the bond between them as she is thinking about these things. And, and also while she's recalling earlier in the week when all of the charities she was working on in Valaris on recovery from the war told her to go home and enjoy her holiday. So she's running through all these different thoughts in her head. And then Reese shows up in the bond. Um, he tells her that he's currently at Devlin's camp with Cassian, and the two of them, Feyre and Reese, exchange quick, flirty thoughts. Do you think the bond cup, like the bond, has like a do not disturb function? I think. Well, they they mention how they caress each other's walls. <laughs> I think we, we were just looking each other in the eyes as you said it, and then your hand. It was just, I'm sorry, what, I my shuddered. <laughs> oh, my, oh my God. Look at that sleeve work. <laughs> um, I, well, they do. The way it is written is that they sort of do have to like knock at the door a little bit. And also, Reese mentions that he tries to not act like read into people's brains unless it's like he has absolutely to, necessary. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah, he shows up because she earlier in the day she had asked where he was and he didn't answer. But she wasn't worried because she could sense him. And that now she finds out he's at Devlin's camp with Cassian, and they have their their little quick flirty married couple exchange. And then he quotes sends a caress of night to her, sick, and then is gone. I get a full report about it soon, but for now, I smiled at the snow waltzing outside the windows. So this first chapter is just reintroducing us to Feyre in a calm time. And we are probably, as the reader, happy to know that she's feeling loved and joyful in many ways, even though she's still troubled. Troubled. She's troubled but happy. Mm -hmm. And we're getting also through this book the glimpse of how everyone is dealing with the aftermath in their own ways. It's not a happily ever after, but it's a happy-ish. Yes. Happily ever after is boring anyway. Yeah, and this is, I mean, I think that it's fun to play with the idea, like, in between large, like, plots and big, huge things of, like, how do the characters react when they just are sitting with themselves? Like, I think I... I, Yeah. It's... I think the psychology of that is really cool and interesting. Even in, like, real-life stuff, I, I like to think about people... Even, like, crime, like, criminals and stuff, I'm more curious about what they're like on their day-to-day basis, like, how they deal with stuff like that. So I do find these kind of moments interesting between like the huge like I'm championing a war, I'm at the front lines. I like I want to know what they're doing and 
And when they're going on holiday. And yeah. I think it's interesting. Well, and especially, like, you start to see, and I know we'll see it a lot more in the next book, that, like, Moss is, like, also, like, dealing with her own bullshit mm-hmm. in her own life and, like, bringing a lot more, like, mental health aspects into the books. Like, I, there's such a shift from, like, in between mm-hmm. the third and the fourth book that I think is, like, a real growth. Well, she's technically was still, like, growing up. Yeah. She's, for the, especially the beginnings of these books. Yeah. I mean, she's only 37, I think, 38 now. Be our friend. You can be our friend. So that would probably mean she was, like, in her early 30s when she was writing these these sections of the books and you're still becoming yourself at that point. You know? Oh, yeah. You're growing into yourself for sure. Um, so chapter two, we're now with Rizan. We're with him in real time as he's intercepting between Cassian and Devlin. So this is basically just a continuation of the moment that we just saw Feyre. Uh, and we also get a de- an idea of how he feels in these months following the war in these first couple pages. He describes the Illyrian camp, how he sees it, which is very interesting because we've mostly got an overarching impression from Feyre. But Reese grew up in this camp and knows its ins and outs more. So- it's described a lot less like brutishly than yeah. it was in the last book. And she doesn't know the nuances like he does. And he, Rizan knows the social politics and the way the hierarchy works. So this is the first time we're seeing it from him. And he knows, he, he notes like in this chapter that the males running businesses and the act of trades there are actually failed warriors. Um, and that the, f- um, and that the females running about are living within strict boundaries, bred to feel loyal only to their males and to the keeping of house. Reese finds it distasteful and thinks that there can be pride in housework and drudgery, but they should be given choices. And that oh, he's our feminist uh, ally. Oh. <laughs> um, and that is the topic at hand during this argument that is happening before Reese. Devlin has begrudgingly allowed some females to receive training, but he and Cassian are arguing about how much training is acceptable. Devlin is trying to get the females to prepare for the solstice and shark their training hours, and Cassian's not having it. Mm-mm. Because basically, Devlin's saying they need to to prepare the houses and get them all into that the kitchen. Yeah. Yes, and he Cassian's demanding that Devlin let them have at least half of their normal training hours still during the holiday time. Without Reese there, he knows that Devlin would give Cassian an even harder time. And the two of them are basically working together to convince Devlin to let the females train for an hour and a half a day and make it seem like. Devlin was choosing the amount of hours like they did a very tricky thing where they over they like demanded more hours and then he was like no an hour you know and he's basically like thinking Devlin won negotiation ne- tactics yeah so, I'm not very good at negotiating are you surprised w- well you know if you had to be running an, an Illyrian war camp you'd get into it I feel like you could figure it out but I, you just but even in this part, like, I, I just, like, always feel I'm like, but what happens to these women when they're not around to, like, protect them? Like, we know that, like, they don't want to be training women. They don't want women fighting. They they want women at home, like you said, doing all the solstice soul stuff. So I would just worry so much about what happens to them when I'm not there. Well, that's when we get into Cassian's chapter, he addresses that, actually. Right. Um, I, I know what you mean, though, with negotiation, because I don't do, like— um, price bickering on stuff like i'm not haggling, gonna go haggling yeah, I'm very bad mm-hmm. yeah i'm very um, bad i'm like whatever you want yeah yes, i'm sure you, you made a good price sir. Well, good choice i don't at that. i hate i do not Should I give you that. more 
<laughs> I know some people really like doing that. I do not care for it. Oh my god, Jeff is so good at it. It he's makes like, me uncomfortable. Me too. But he's just like he's like. But Jackie's like people expect to be haggled with. Like I know. Like, and I'm like I, I'm like I know, but I don't know how to do it. I'm just like, hey, partner. Oh wow, see a price on there. Whoa, you know, like I feel like I would. I don't know, don that character. Become, just have an accent for some yes. reason. <laughs> Yeah, no, like I'm not Schitt's good at it. Creek. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, not 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 for me personally, but they they're good at it, and yes. they've convinced Devlin to let the females train for an hour and a half today, uh, an hour and a half a day. And Reese reflects on how much measure he Reese reflects on how much he must measure out, how much he interferes because he knows he must interfere because even though the Illyrians are sworn to the Night Court and Prithian, there are always bands of them cropping up who wish to revolt or want to side with the enemies of Night Court because people revolt, especially these kind of, uh, you know, brutish warriors. Sometimes mm-hmm. they don't like what they're being given. And so, so you kind of got to keep them happy, but you don't right. want to keep them all the way happy because they're also brutes. So, so you got to show up sometimes and make your little demands but then don't be overbearing with everything either oh he's such a good high lord he really is after they settle with devlin cassian and reese head to their little house on the campgrounds where they were they grew up basically and they come in they go inside to have their little like discussions afterwards and reese laments that he needs a holiday one that involves sleeping and, quote, burying himself inside of Pharaoh. <laughs> <laughs> Man, this is just bro talk right now. He recalls to himself how he was desperate for her so much uh, the week prior that he had taken her in disguise over Valaris after she gave him a longing look. A moment later, I'd been inside her and had nearly sent us crashing into the rooftops like an Illyrian whelp. Pharaoh had just laughed. I'd climaxed at the husky sound of it. Sorry, I made you say climax. It's okay. I I mean, he climaxed right in the sky. And where <laughs> does the spend go? I don't know. In her, in, I think he just right inside. In. Oh, okay, yeah. all right. They he take wasn't... tonics, so he can do whatever. He oh wants. yeah, he could do whatever he wants. In my head, I just imagine him going like, "Haya!" and just like, oh, like falling out of like an airplane waist. Yeah, Ew. yeah, and be like, "Oh, I guess it was just a pigeon." Are there pigeons in Valaris? Oh, gross. What's oh, on my car? Yuck. <laughs> Just come falling out of the sky? Gross. When your High Lord's that hot, I mean, we'd understand. I guess you'd go like, thank you, High Lord. I and then you'd like, put it in a jar and keep it on your hearth. Oh, that would be pretty fun. Um, <clears throat> So he's remembering this moment they had, but then is brought back to the present as Cassian tells him some bad news. Dissensions brewing. Uh-uh. Not the normal expected kind, but because of the battle that just occurred, because of the mass casualties in the war that just happened, thousands and thousands had perished under the cauldron's wicked power. Some believe that Reese and Cassian did it on purpose to avenge their own childhoods, which is not fair. But nah. also, ha- had they done that, we would they understand. be that surprised? Because they treated them like fucking mm-hmm. garbage. But that's not the way the Cassian and Rizond are. No. Okay. Cassian suggests that he remain at the camps over Solstice to keep it in order. But Reese shuts it down. 
No, he's to come home for the holidays. No, I have to fuck my mate. Well, no, he wants, Cassian wants to stay. And Reese says, you are not staying. No, that's why he wants to go home. He wants Cassian to be there with the family. Which, yeah. Cassian notes a sharpness in Reese's tone and guesses correctly that he is exhausted and, yes, horny. Horny. Cassian teases him and Reese thinks about how he saw Cassian almost die. He's doing the same thing where he's kind of having these moments of like joy with his friend and then immediately thinking about his almost death. And that kind of I probably think about it fairly often. Can anyone say Andrews of that? Mm-hmm. Um so he's also thinking about that peculiar moment between he and Nesta. How since that day that she tried to cover Cassian's body with her own the two of them had barely spoken to each other since that day. I mean, um, you know, I feel like that's way more vulnerable than just having sex with a friend. And it's already difficult enough after that. And then it's like, oh, I tried to, like, save you. And then we had that kiss. But, like, I really thought you were going to die. But, like, you didn't die. And now yeah. we got to, like, deal with this weird situation that we didn't expect to be in. Well, especially because I don't think anybody knew that she was going to then, like, twice save Cassian and then... Like, basically agree to die with him. Yeah. And then when you don't die, you're like, well, I just basically professed my love to you. And now we, uh, and what do they do? Pretend like it didn't happen. Oh, that's really going to help. And it's really more on Nesta. It's not on Cassian. Oh, yeah. I mean, she moved out and, like, was just like, I'm going to go be over here. Yeah. Um, we learn here from Reese that Nesta's chosen home is in the closest thing Valaris has to a slum and that she has completely cut off contact with the rest of them. He feels pained from watching it hurt Feyre, but isn't sure yet how to help. But he has a lot of negative feelings towards Nesta. Reese and Cassian's conversation has lightened some after this, and they are discussing the upcoming festivities when Cassian ventures is uh, and before Cassian finishes the question, Rizan responds, "Both sisters will be at the house, whether they want to or not." Cassian looks grim and warns that Nesta's not going to be happy about it. But Reese, in his arrogant and determined ways, says that she will be and she will like it, because in his head he knows that it will lighten his precious mate's heart. Aww. His precious mate. Yes. I don't know why I got, said it all rude like that. Um, Cassian ventures. I'm of you. Yeah, it should be. Thank you. Cassian ventures to too casually ask how Nesta is doing anyway. <laughs> I totally forgot about her, and I wasn't even like, wondering. But like, oh right, Nesta. Second. Yeah, no, like that's crazy that I just happen to be thinking about her. How is that person I forgot about completely? Oh my god, can you imagine his journal entries though? Right now, like, <laughs> dear oh, diary. Oh, oh god, oh. I remember when she guy oh. kissed her. Oh. <gasps> And he's just like jerking off to yeah, it. Yeah, he's jerking off. A oh lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Reese tells him that she is just keeping to her own life and that she's refused any job that Reese has offered her because he keeps trying to give her employment. We of course learn later that she's not doing any job except being a good time, Sally. Ooh, I've had that job Sally, from time to time rad. in my life. Oh yeah, man, and it is. Sad. It is. It's really exhausting. <laughs> you think it's you really fun. Yeah. Lot. You're always hungover. You're always like kind of hate yourself. And like, you're like, no, I'm living. No, I'm just, I'm just living my dreams and I'm independent. Right. And you go through that whole thing yeah. and you're like, I don't need anybody. And then you're like really hurting yourself. And yeah. 
I could wonder, maybe I could say maybe Nesta's doing that. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know yet. No, uh, Reese wants her doubly there because it's also, if you'll recall, Feyre's birthday. It's suddenly when Reese is thinking about all of this, striking him how young she is. She's only turning 21. And then he begins to think, my beautiful, strong, fierce mate shackled to me. And then Cassian can sense that he's thinking these things and stops him. He sees he's spiraling and he shuts it down because Reese in his head is putting that upon Pharaoh, being like, she's stuck with me now. And then Cassian I'm pretty says, sure she's happy. She seems pretty satisfied. I'm pretty sure she's doing all right. Uh, Cassian says as much. Pharaoh is not shackled to you, Reese. Yeah. She loves Reese more deeply than Cassian has ever seen anyone love another fae. Oh. Reese admits it's sometimes hard to remember that she chose him and wasn't stuck to him the way his parents were because he watched his mom be sort of shackled to her, his dad. Therapy. Therapy. <laughs> Cassian then admits that he's sometimes jealous of what he and Feyre have, that Cassian didn't really believe in the, the mating bond and oh. that it was real until he watched it happen for them. Oh. Reese is still feeling troubled and tells Cass he sometimes can't accept that he gets all of this. Seeing the pain in Reese's eyes, Cassian crosses the room and embraces him, assures him, You made it. We made it. He wants Reese to remember to enjoy the thing that he fought for. Reese is moved and asks Cassian if he is okay. Shadows darkened his hazel eyes. I'm getting there. Oh, well, yeah, he's also going through a lot. I love being inside of Reese's brain and seeing their, like, bro love. How much they love each other. And just, like, and how much that they actually, like, talk about their feelings. And, like, this is such a big part of, like, the characterization of both of them and how they connect to each other. And how it's not, like, so much more than, like, being raised as an Illyrian is so much about being brutish and being strong. And, like, they don't emphasize emotional connection. Mm -hmm. And, like, they've always had that. Yeah. Which means uh, Reese has always not been like the other boys. Really? Also, yes, I have attached... It the works clip for the, to it my looks finger. Like and yeah. actually, also, Racina's um, fingers are supposed are described as long and slender. Long and slender. So this one long and slender, mm-hmm. but also it is still two, because this um, wig keeps getting caught in mm-hmm. the makeup on my face, and so it is. Um, it's like uh, like you're a like, bunch of um, you're like in a child's Halloween costume. Right yes, now. I am. I I feel like it's like a tiny torture of just like yeah. little little itches all across your. Face. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not with this clip. <laughs> um, I'm getting green paint all over your clip. I assumed it. <laughs> um, so, and, and actually, you bringing that up about Cassian, it is interesting. Like, I, at one point, I do want to talk about the bonus chapters because. Oh, yeah. This is our first oh, real look yeah. into Cassian's head because the next chapter is beginning now and it is Cassian's chapter. And it picks right up where we last left off with Reese's leaving after their embrace in the in the house there. Um, and I'm curious to talk about it because the tone of Cassian has kind of changed between that extra chapter and now. He is in the extra chapter. He's a little bit more aggressive. And this version of him is much more like he is in Silver Flames. Granted, he's not like he's not bad. He's not a bad guy in the in the bonus chapter, but 
And Nesta is being awful to him. But like I've already mentioned, like he calls her a bitch and stuff in that chapter. Um, and there, there's between that chapter and this book, there's supposed to be about a year's worth of time. So I don't know if there's like Nesta's changed. So he's changed. Or but also like, think of what they just went through at the end of the war. Like that will very much not only change you as a person, but change the relationship that they have between the two of them. Yeah. And I will say like in the bonus chapter, he's. Still very much Cassian, but he's a little bit more sexually aggressive. Um, oh, uh, I hadn't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, I Ugh. hate that job. I hate it. So now when we're first alongside Cassian in this chapter, in this chapter three, he's reflecting on his irritation with Devlin and his cohorts. He walks out of the house feeling smug as he stretches his limbs and wings in front of the other warriors. Oh, just imagine the muscles of his back rippling. I don't give a shit about back muscles. I, I couldn't care less. But just something about Cassian just like unfurling his wings in front of them and just like his siphons gleaming. Good Lord! And also, I mean, he, he, you got to love it because they were so cruel to him. And yes. now he's just like, yeah, I'm bigger than you. What? So fucking strong. They uh, even know that... Because they know that even though he was bastard born and they resent him, he's ten times the warrior they ever will be. Mm-hmm. And Cassian doesn't let them forget it. Don't you forget it! No. Then he shoots into the sky, and up there he revels in the flight, his love for the wind and freedom. So he's basically flying across Phalaris. I mean, uh, he's basically flying across the night court. One might say he's defying gravity. Mm, no, no. One might say it. I'm not singing. I'm just saying that, like, no. maybe he gets me. Oh, yeah, I think so. He also has a difficult time. Even though he feels exhilaration in the sky, this place he's aiming for right now, we, we learn it's not a place that he's excited to go to. So no. he's flying to a specific location that he is it's not a joyous one. It's a place that he thinks about that he doesn't often journey unless he's raging or reflecting on things. I have talked about in my own home putting up a little, like, tent that was going to be my own, like, um, my sneer place is mm. what I called it. Like, if I need to sneer, I'm just going to go in there and sit and just like, because I don't have, do you have a cry place? Not specifically, but no, I guess that maybe my car. I was about to say, yeah, I guess the car. Sometimes. Car culture, man. It really gives you a, a really good place to cry. Yeah, let's see, that's hard with public transportation. <laughs> Can't cry as much. Although in New York, man, I used to just openly weep. And you know what? Nobody, Nobody cared. Yeah, the subway's so filled with things <laughs> happening. <laughs> Nobody cared. And I would just like walk down the street just like. <laughs> and I just remember going through a breakup and just like walking the streets crying and just drinking a tall boy out of a brown paper bag. Ah, the New York City streets. Ah, good old dirty New York. So as Cassian's going to his sneer tent, (laughs) um, (laughs) he looks down uh, at the endless span of barren mountain ranges below him and feels a sense of wonder and dread. He knows that there are ancient beasts down there that only slither out at night to feed. He passes over Ramiel, the sacred mountain of the night court, the one on the insignia who is perfectly framed by three stars once a year. None were permitted on its barren, rocky slopes, save for the Illyrians, and only once a year at that, during the blood rite. Cassian soared toward it, unable to resist Ramiel's ancient summons. 
different. The mountain was so different from the barren, terrible presence of the lone peak in the center of Prithian. Ramiel had always felt alive somehow, awake and watchful. So here the blood rite is mentioned again. Could be foreshadowing. Cassian thinks of the day that he and his brothers participated in this sacred blood rite, reserved for Illyrian males only. That they had finished, I guess, basically the the rite. So few people who had participated and had done over hundreds of years. Especially people that weren't bastard born, mm. like these lowly people. The rite hadn't changed in the centuries since. Early each spring... It still went on. Hundreds of warrior novices deposited across the mountains and forests surrounding the peak. The territory off-limits during the rest of the year to prevent any of the novices from scouting ahead for the best routes and traps to lay. There were varying qualifiers throughout the year to prove a novice's readiness, each slightly different depending on the camp. But the rules remain the same. So this is really where we're first getting some idea of what the blood rite is. Um, We also learn here that the goal at the end of the blood rite is to reach an enchanted stone at the top of Ramiel, though over the thousands of warriors in training that have been sent to this rite, very few had made it. Of course, the Bat Boys did. Of course they did. Our Bat Boys are better than other Bat Boys. They really are. During this ritual, Illyrians are forbidden from flying or using magic. Their weapons are taken away and they must survive the three days. Those days aligned with perfectly with the days that the stars frame the peak. I bet it's gorgeous. Oh my God, gorgeous. Can you oh, imagine? Oh. The tradition is so old, Cassian doesn't know if the night court insignia came first or, or the blood rite. He also doesn't know who placed the stone atop the mountain so many centuries ago. And we see that a lot with uh, within Prithian. Many of the traditions and magical occurrences are so old in this world that many times no one, none of the characters have record of why or how they happen, even if you call it prison. They don't know who started the prison or any of that. Um, so then Cassian has an interesting reflection. Who had put that stone atop the peak? He didn't know either. Legend said it had existed before the night court formed, before the Illyrians migrated from the Mermaidens before humans had ever walked the earth. <laughs> Even with the fresh snow crusting Ramiel, none had touched the pillar of stone. So this is a little piece of contextual history casually sprinkled in now that we're privy to Cass's thoughts. Because now she can build on some of like the actual like what these characters are based on. Like she's like yeah. building the story underneath, which is really cool. It is fun. Had we I don't recall ever hearing that they came from the Mermidans. Right? Do you remember ever hearing no. that in the books? No. That name itself is derived from Greek mythology and is often interpreted as meaning the ant people. Oh. Or that is to say a race of people who are basically worker ants, which okay. kind of makes sense for Illyrian warriors. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's also from uh, Homer's Iliad. So I wonder if Illyrians comes from that as well. Iliad? It's very close. Man, I know a lot about the Iliad. Um, but the mer- Myrmidons... It's not true. I was lying. I, don't know I mean, I read I that read in it. the Odyssey in college, but that's about it. Um, wow! Ah! 
Yeah, I read um, books. <laughs> Whoa. Um, All right. Well, let's, I mean, let's give it up for Natalie Jean here. She's reading books outside of just fuck books, okay? She's got other books. Look at these hands. <laughs> or he's do the clap like Nicole Kidman when she had all the diamonds on her hands. <gasps> Yay. <laughs> oh, God, she did make that sound. <laughs> um, but, yeah, in Homer's Iliad, the Myrmidons are soldiers commanded by Achilles. And the Iliad, of course, being, I'm, I'm sure most of you know, it's one of the world's first notable epic fantasy novels, in essence, where, like, a lot of fantasy books have... Basically, you can drive a lot of them from these books, yeah. from the um, Iliad and the Odyssey. Another note on that passage, the way it's phrased, he makes it sound like humans had been there first. I don't know if that's how I'm reading that line, but it, it, to me it sounds like he's saying that humans predated the Illyrians or the Fae on this world. Whoa. Uh, maybe that's just how I'm reading it, but that's what it sounds like. But... Anyway, Ramiel's not where Cassian is headed that day. He turns and aims for another location, another camp. At least it used to be a camp. Only cinders and debris remained anyway. He'd made sure of it. Because this camp is where he was born. And it's there that his mother, who he insinuates was basically Ard, Har Ard, uh, lived a short and miserable life where she was treated almost as a leper for having a bastard son, even though she was assaulted yeah. and was battered. And like she had much of a fucking choice in this. I mean, this happens in our world, too, I all know. the time. Um, as Amber likes to tell on uh, Spun, the story of at her church, uh, oh, no. the preacher was having an affair with a 16-year-old, and everybody in the church went, well, what do you expect? Her parents are divorced. Huh? Uh, somehow it was her fault. Jesus like she had seduced him with her divorced parents. You wonder why we don't want to go to midnight I mass. Know. Fuck you, man. That's why. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is very similar where uh, at this camp where he was born, he was taken away from her very young to go, as most Illyrian kids are, tossed off at camp at like three years old. and when- Which is crazy because like I just saw... Holden's two-year-old performer recital, we both saw her performer recital, not one second of the choreo. She just stood there. She was, And she kept walking uh, off the stage. Listen, as somebody who's been in a lot of dance recitals, the point of a two-year-old on stage is to look cute. You don't got to do she shit. She looked very, very cute. I'm just saying, you got three-year-olds. Oh, yeah, go, no. You got to go train these three-year-olds. Can you imagine? She get, she looked very cute, the tutu. But I didn't see one pirouette. You know what, though? I didn't see one I don't even know. It's Second form? They're not taking her dance training seriously. No. The real crazy stage moms start training their two and three-year-olds at, like, the hardcore studios, and they don't get to have childhoods. No, but that's then the they problem. become Maddie Ziegler. Yes. No, that's the problem. Lexi and Holden are just being too nice. They're not to their two-year-olds. making her a winner. Perform. No, please don't. I, it sucks when the people do that no, to their children. No, it would be horrible. I'm so glad that she stood on the stage and didn't do anything. It was, it was like, so good for cute. You. And yeah, then, go against the man. Yeah. And then when she got off stage, she did the choreography for us for off us. stage because I think she got scared from She's the lights. So cute. They didn't even give the kids a dress rehearsal on stage. That's yeah, a big they were thing. Just put in front of lights at two years old. They don't know what the hell's it's going probably on. Terrifying. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Call anyway. That that is what, you know, Cassian had to go. He was tossed off in the at the camp. And so he 
basically when he got old enough to defend her, old enough and strong enough to defend her, she was already dead. And so he had gone back to that camp, a warrior, and ripped it to shreds, finding those responsible for her suffering and pain and her horrible life that they took and took their lives. I know, like, an eye for an eye makes a whole world blind, but, like, how great did he feel after fucking doing that show? Well, he says repeatedly he has no regrets no about regrets, doing it. No regrets. None. When he had finished decimating the camp, no one ever wanted to revive it. And so now it stays there sort of as a twisted sort of monument to what happened when they mistreated a warrior's now he mother. he uses it as a sneer tent. And he uses it as a sneer tent. And Cassian says he doesn't regret it. Not when he, they didn't even have the decency to tell him where her body went. All he had was faint memories of being a young boy and being loved and cared for by her. And this is why he comes to this place today. Because after the clashing with Devlin, his real reason he fought so hard for those Illyrian females to receive training is because he wants them to have a chance his mother never did to be able to fight back. Goosh! 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 Now that's what I call sexy. Oh my god! Uh, Cassian! It's like everything about Cassian is just like, man, he can't get any sexier. And then like you keep reading. You're like, god damn you. I know. I'm such a, oh. a reason girl, but every time I reread Cassian stuff, I'm like, but am I? God, I just love a himbo. I love a himbo. Such a sweet himbo. No. So he does this all and for I his can mother. And fix him! But he doesn't even need fixed. He's perfect. Yeah, he's perfect. You can Although give I think him that he could use a, a good blowjob. Oh, oh, I mean, okay. <laughs> just don't I mean, the, the, you know the scene that just popped up in my head. And I go, oh, yeah. okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> I know what scene you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, you know what scene you're talking about. I know they're talking about chapter 55. If you guys anyway. haven't read Silver Flame yet, I'm so excited for your dream. I'm so excited for you. I would do anything to read it for the first time again. <laughs> Even those first chapters in Mist and Fury, the, not the first chapters, the, the special chapters in Mist and Fury. Those first time I read those. Wow. Yeah. I was like, I need to do a podcast that lasts a whole year about it. <laughs> um, so after all of this, he does this all for his mother. He stands in the snow-covered rubble in silence, the way some might visit a grave, reflecting. In his reflection, he thinks of the days to come with his maid family at Solstice. Reese wanted him home for the Solstice, and he'd obey. Even if Nesta... Nesta. Even in his thoughts, her name clanged through him, hollow and cold. Now wasn't the time to think of her. Not here. But it's the sneer tent. Like, you can get it out there. It's okay. Well, I think with Nesta's a point of discord inside of Cassian, I think. From what we learn in Wings and Ruin and what little bit we get from the bonus chapter, he feels a lot of contempt and anger towards her, but he can never stop thinking about her. And also, like, you you never you don't want someone that like openly dislikes you. Like no matter like what feelings are happening between the two of you, like Nesta is not nice to him he, she's not nice to anybody <laughs> no and also he does feel anger that she let Farah out into the snow and he's never shy to one of the first interactions they had was him calling her out on it yeah um and so he can't ever stop thinking about her and he can't stop the feelings of desire that rise in him when she's near and it troubles him 
not only because of what they went through during the last battle, because but because he seems to know that she's drowning right now in a way. If you'll recall at the end of Akawar, she was already beginning to distance herself in those last chapters. Whenever they were trying to pull her back into the group, she decided to walk up the stairs. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's gotten any better since then. Cassian gives a last look to the raised campgrounds and takes flight. Then we're back to Feyre at chapter four. And this time she's in the hustle and bustle of the rainbow. <gasps> and it is like that, like a montage from a movie with the sleigh bells and the harp in the background. Oh, yeah. It's very, <laughs> yes. It's very Hallmarky. You know, she's definitely looking for a Santa with a heart of gold. She, she's already, she's got her Santa got with a heart Santa. of gold. So it is, it's Feyre moving through the lights and crowd and snow Velara Solstice is very pagan sounding. Of course, Solstice is. We should have talked more about Solstice. Maybe I'll do that more tomorrow. But I mean, next week. But um, Solstice is sort of the, the pagan version of of Christmas, of course. Um, and of course, oh, <laughs> all the shops and streetlights have holly and pine boughs sweeping across them because, again, like the tree and all of the pine stuff was was a pagan ritual before it was a Christian. Bring the trees inside the house. And let them die slowly. And then we set them on fire. No, but actually, I think for some reason, I've no, I must have not said this on this podcast before, but it's actually um, more environmentally sound to get real trees over the um, reusable plastic ones because it does, the production of them is usually in China. And so they also have to travel and um, pine trees are a sustainable resource. And it's like a like, you know, American businesses that. Um, it's better. It's better for the environment, basically, to, to have a real tree. That's great, because I will still get a real tree every year. I love a real tree. Yes. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy... And starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone. Plus, spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
everything's decorated with the holly and the pine. And Feyre's here to do and Cam- some. And Candace Cameron Bure shows up. No. And we're like, bitch, get out Her of here. Her god is not You're here. not allowed in Valaris. And guess what? Gay people are there, too. Ooh, spooky. Get out of here. You're in a place called the Rainbow. Can't handle it. Get out of here, Candace Cameron Bure. more like. Bernay? <laughs> yeah. Oh, burn? Yeah, or just like nay. Oh, nay. nay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Fair is here to do some shopping. I love shopping. The Although scene... this, I would love to shop in this yeah. area. Oh my god, I would do anything. It makes me think of Paris, or it also makes me think um, of whenever in Union Square when they do the Christmas shops. Yes. I always love that. She realizes as she's window shopping that the townsfolk are gawking at her. And she remembers she's like, she's like a, a little bit of a celebrity now. Oh my God. What is she like a high lady or something? Yeah, Feyre. I'm kind of famous here. Um, I'm so embarrassed about it. And like it's just like, alone. <laughs> that's it. Honestly, it kind of annoys me of just like, why is everybody looking at me? Like, what are you fucking talking about, Feyre? She feels Your so- name is Feyre Cursebreaker, and you're the <laughs> high lady of the night court. What do you think they're looking at? She feels self-conscious, but is also grateful to be welcomed into this world. It's people aren't looking at her with distrust, but awe. She's still getting used to her position as high lady, but appreciates the work and feels humbled by how hands-on Reese is with his people's concerns when he meets with them every week. Yeah, and he's not forcing them to tithe the way Tamlin did. Good tithing. As she continues through the throngs of excited citizens preparing for the holiday, her thoughts turn to Nesta, how she chose to stay in the worst apartment she could find. And even though it's pretty difficult to find those in Valaris, she found it. The only comparison to the grimness of those few rundown buildings are the ones that have been destroyed in Highburn's attacks. Mm. She realizes she's standing in front of one of those buildings that's been destroyed, turned to rubble and abandoned. She wonders if the people inside survived and where they went, if so. And then they got out in time, a female voice said behind me. Slightly, slightly startled, Faye returns and is facing a woman she doesn't know, but she certainly recognizes. I had not forgotten the sight of her standing outside that shop door, a rusted pipe raised over one shoulder, squaring off against the gathered Highburn soldiers, ready to go down swinging for the terrified people huddled inside. It's me! It's me, guys! It's me. And you're like, oh, why did because oh why does she look like Elvaba? Why is she dressed like Elvaba? I'm not dressed like Elvaba. No. I'm dressed as a savior, okay? A yeah. savior of the rainbow. Yeah, you are. Thank you. But I don't think her green paint gets all over her computer the way mine does. No. Nope, I don't think so. I'm gonna have to find out a secret. <laughs> this is a callback to a scene in Mist and Fury. Um, that happened, you know, when Hybern had done the surprise attack and Feyre's mm. out fighting. She remembers that that scene does happen in the book. This woman is green skinned and has long sable hair. Me? Feyre describes her as long and slender. Well, and notes that she. <laughs> well, let's, let's fudge it a little bit. I call her uh, curvy and short. I mean, she's curvy and short. <laughs> A thick bitch, you might say. <laughs> and notes that she has the pointed ears of the high fae, but she is a type of high fae that she doesn't see very often. 
Feyre and her face one another and exchange words. The fairy tells her that she knows the people who lived there. I know the people who lived there. Oh, you think that's what her voice sounds like? Yeah, probably. I always thought of her as like a very gentle voice. Oh, that she was like much more like um, nurturing than being a witch? Yeah. I think it's just, I just, I just, you just are mixing her up with the witch. Mixing her up. I'm sorry, Rosita. It's not your fault. So. This fairy uh, tells her that the people who live there are safe and they're living with relatives in the lowlands. Feyre asks about another building nearby, a shop that had been damaged and abandoned but still stood. The fairy tells her, unfortunately, the female who owned that gallery for centuries did not survive the attack. She then boldly mentions that it's for sale and that she'd heard Feyre was a fine artiste. Feyre gets flustered, having not expected that. She's Who, me? And my stick figures? <laughs> um, and then also that she wasn't saying it because she was curious of buying the place. And the fairy kind of asks her why not. And fairy's just like, I don't know, man. I just wasn't, just wasn't thinking about it. We were like just in a war. I don't know. I'm not thinking about becoming a business owner right at this point in time. <laughs> the fa- the fairy, she's like, she's getting into an MLM. Right? And she's like, yeah, you should buy that, you know, and then we'll buy up all the, all the different studios around here. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And then you get some more people to buy at the building. Yes, and they buy them from you and then <laughs> turn a profit. <laughs> the, fairy, the fairy goes on to say that even if she isn't looking to buy the gallery, that the doors of Valaris are always open to her. As high lady, I dared ask. As one of us, she said simply. The words settled in, strange and yet like a piece I had not known was missing, an offered hand I had not realized how badly I wanted to grasp. One of us! One yeah, of us! she is. She just wants to be accepted. Her words touch Feyre, and she reaches out to shake her hand and formally introduce herself. The fairy introduces herself as Resina. It's me! And invites, <laughs> and invites her to come join her anytime if she'd like to paint because Racina herself is a painter. Oh. And she owns a, an art studio nearby. Artist sees artist, accepts artist. I see you. Thank you. I, see you. I validate you. Oh, yeah, we're us. Yes. This is the two people in yeah, the scene. This is, it's us. Thank you. And Thank she you, has Racina. Long, slender fingers and she touches you. Yeah. Like <laughs> no, it's green. There's green on it. <laughs> <laughs> there is green all over it. <laughs> again, Farah is touched and thanks her. Farah doesn't know how to take that, but she is very touched that Racina offered her to come and paint with them. Racina brushes it off, telling her that they all remember Farah came to defend them that day. Later that evening, Farah is still out shopping, and as she's looking at an assortment of jewels in a window, Morrigan is suddenly at her side and makes a joke about getting on Amran's good side with a big big, big old fat sapphire. I love that. I love it. It's just like, well, you can't give her blood anymore, so yep. uh, gemstones? Yeah. Feyre's delighted to see her friend, and they hook arms, and they admire the jewelry together, just like in a little window shopping scene in a movie. It's like little women. It is. They gossip about Varian and wonder if he'll come to the solstice party. Feyre reflects on the great sacrifice Amran gave during the battle, and she and Moore go into the store knowing that Amran deserves a big fat sapphire. Yeah, get it for her. Because, of course, she gave her whole life away. Yeah, now she's, you know, 
she's just a fae now. She's not immortal, but she's still going to live for like 2,000 yeah, years. So, so she's, like, ugh. She's fine. So, as honestly, they, think of Mr. Bojangles from the Green Mile. Oh. You think you want to live forever, but who wants to live forever? That's Highlander, though. There can be only one. I um, don't want to live forever. I'm glad they didn't make the Green Mile into a musical. That would be weird. I'd watch it. I don't. I don't know. Another Tom Hanks pissing scene, though. He loves pissing. Man, <laughs> that's Henry has a shirt that's that just says Tom Hanks is pissing or something like that. <laughs> it's in all the different scenes of him <laughs> pissing in movies. It's a great league of their own scene. As they make their purchase for Amarin, Feyre asks more what she wants herself, and more kind of hedges. Feyre seems th- sees this as a prime opportunity to be nosy and mentions that maybe Mora could bring someone to the party. She's been going to Rita's an awful lot lately. I don't know if there's, like, anyone special. Oh. And Mora's like, eh, nah, nah. None. Let's not. Can we not? So Feyre changes the subject. Feyre is such a little meddler. Oh, which yeah. I completely understand. I'm totally that person. Just like, have you been hanging out with anybody? You can she's, bring them around. She's being nebby. So Feyre decides to change the subject and asks what she's getting everyone for the holidays. And they have an exchange that I find funny where Moore says that a thing a lot of us are probably thinking, which is, I don't know. I've been buying these people presents for 500 years. I don't really know anymore what amount of ideas. I can't even imagine how you can. T- I feel like you'd have to. T- I take centuries off. I'd be like, how about yeah. we come back around like this century? I'll get as something. I'll get Amarin something. I'll get Nesta something. Right. And then like you do three for a century and then yeah. you switch it up. You do a secret Santa. Oh, you do a secret Santa. They don't Santa. have Santa though. Oh, yeah. We'll do. Uh, what is it? Golden Goose. Golden Goose. Oh, you mean White Elephant? Honk, honk, honk. Oh, yeah, White Elephant. <laughs> I like Golden Goose, though. So. Yeah. You are the Golden Goose. Hello. I don't know if they have elephants. Oh, my God. I I wonder if they do have elephants. I don't know. Where would they keep them? On the continent, I guess. Yeah, I guess. That are like, down with the uh, uh, Baraxis. Oh, <laughs> that's where the all darkness. the elephants are, yeah. The elephants have to sit in the dark. Yeah, they love that's it down so there. That's so sad. I don't think they would. No, I don't think they would either. I've seen Dumbo. Oh, um, he likes sunshine. He does. So there's an interesting moment where Feyre mentions getting Azrael a dagger and how it's unlikely it's he'd ever give up Truth Teller. Except for that one time. And more quietly a response that he did, in fact, give it to Elaine. Except for that one time. I think that there was more to that sentence than meets the eye because, mm. yes, giving over that blade to Elaine was definitely out of character. And I think Moore took note of it. Her little simp suddenly gave his knife to some other woman, huh? Whoa. He'd never given her truth dollar. No, he certainly hasn't. Then we get some Christmas porn as they discuss what Vivian of the Winter Court has told Moore about their solstice celebrations. They have dancing, drinking, feasting, and gifting. Roaring fires made from entire tree trunks and cauldrons filled of mull wine. Don't bring up cauldrons. Oh, not right now. Ugh. Right, Moore? Your nose is funny. I know, and there's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing I can do about it. What am I going to do? You know what? We don't have to keep that part into the video if you don't want me to say your nose is My running. My nose is running. <laughs> no! Uh, I'm taking the makeup off! <laughs> oh, we can keep it in. I'm fine. Keep it in. Uh. <laughs> I think we could use some mulled wine, though. 
Yeah, I see more morning mulled wine. <laughs> <laughs> and also it, the, uh, the, the winter court includes the singing of a thousand minstrels flowing through their palace, answered by the bells ringing on the large sleighs pulled by those beautiful white bears. I personally don't think I'd want a thousand minstrels singing personally. Too many minstrels. <laughs> just, uh, ah! It's like, can you just shut up? Can you just shut up? We're drinking morning wine. Can you just please for a second? Stop it's the goddamn hammering. <laughs> uh, we love a Scrooge reference. Um, but otherwise, it sounds very nice. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Morris also... She has some bad news. The real reason that she sought out Feyre, they are to go to the Hewn City tonight. Oh, it's like, can we not? Nope, they got to. This is news to Feyre, and she is bummed. She's basically like, why do we have to go? More continues that she herself, Feyre, and Reese are going as it's a tradition this time of the year. More begrudgingly says it's to wish the Fae of the Hewn City well Whoa. and hope them have good luck on the year to come. Year to come. Another bummer. Eris will be there. Of course. But more in favor both know that they are really going to spy in on what's happening. It's not really about wishing them well because no. fuck them people. No. I mean them Fae. We have another Feyre chapter and, and it, that begins with Feyre laying on Reese and her bed. She's dozing having read a couple pages of a book and started to fall asleep. Oh. She's forgone any more work today, instead preparing for her appearance in the Hewn City by taking a little nap. She feels Reese's power near and waits for him. His Illyrian leathers gleamed with melted snow, and more of it shone on his dark hair and wings as he quietly shut the door. Right where I left you. Oh. They are in a playful tone together, but she can see his exhaustion radiating out of him as he begins to peel off layers of his clothes. She asks him if he's eaten, and when he admits he hasn't, she jumps off the bed to fetch him food from the kitchen despite his protests. Five minutes later, Reese held the door open for me wearing nothing but his undershorts as I strode in, tray in my hands. That was a little solstice treat envisioning Reese in his undershorts. Thank you for the treat! Nom, nom, nom. I want more treat. I want more treat. <laughs> and Reese is also in that frame of mind because you know, the, the frame of mind that we're in currently, <laughs> because he reaches to pull Feyre into his lap, but she jumps away and tells him, no, not until he eats. He then says he'll eat her after with a grin. <laughs> As he eats and Feyre begins questioning him on how long it's been since he ate. He smiles and tells her she's fussing over him. She counters that he does the same over her Mm -hmm. and then brings up the Fae period. You know, they're just this is the Christmas special is where they drop knowledge Mm -hmm. of the world, of the lore. This is where we're going. I mean, you're not going to talk about this in the middle middle of a war. So this is a little new piece of info we get in this book that Fae females only have their period twice a year, but they are. Horrible. Horrible. Which made me immediately think, did you ever see the Tina Fey Saturday Night Live commercial for Annuel? No. <laughs> it's really funny if you guys want to look it up on YouTube. It's basically a pill that gives women their period once a year. And it starts out with that, you know, the like the way that period commercials are where it's just like women doing yoga. Being oh, like, yeah. I'd like to hear more. And then by the end of it, you like learn that the one period they have a year is just like them going insane and just like axing through their office. Yeah. And, like, it's very yeah. funny. You should watch it. 
um, annual. Well, Feyre now has had her first Fey period, and she recalls that her human periods were really bad, so her Fey ones were almost unbearable because it sort of like accentuates whatever happened. For no, you. thank you. But during it, she notes Reese wouldn't leave her side, even though she was like unable to like control anything. Like she was just like covered in blood. Um, and he helped her clean up the soiled sheets and everything. Put me in the sneer tent. Just leave <sighs> me there. She, I, she did consider having, um, uh, what's the healer's name? Maja. Un- make her unconscious for the entire time. Yeah, just put me out. I'd rather be out. The red tent. Oh, oh like the Bible. Just like the, oh. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, but he does. He helps clean up the blood and all of that stuff because he's perfect. Of course he is. This gets her thinking about children and the boy the bone carver showed her. And she wonders if because children were so rare to the Fae that if she waited until she was ready, it might be too late. Uh, I I'm like, you're only 21. You're fine. I'm like, hold on. First off, you are only 20. You literally say that in the yeah. So, yeah, cool out. You're and, fine. And also, I've not heard anything in the lore of these Fae that they can't, that they stop giving birth at a certain age. I think you can be like 400 and have a baby yeah, still. Have, so, like, take a century. You're fine. Calm down. All right? A little too much. Jesus Christ. Get used to this world first. You know what I mean? She, she then goes on to realize that she doesn't even know how she'd have time to be a mother right now. She's so busy. But also, you have a staff. I, I mean, don't yes. really feel that bad for her. No. Um, she also recalls having that talk with her sisters once they were made and how awkward it had been, which I can't imagine having that talk with Nesta and Lane would be great to do. It would yeah. be like Nesta would just be smearing away and Lane be like, oh, no, no, not a blood. I'm a baby. Just babies. But as far as she knows, neither had had their first one yet. Their conversation turns towards Elaine and Lucian and how it will be for them at this party Ooh. if Lucian will even show up. Soon, she's walking towards him as he's finishing his food. She stands over him and he braces her hips. She asks him to forgive Lucian and he says he can't just yet for everything he let happen to her. But when she points out that he seems to have forgiven Elaine, but not Nesta, he says, Elaine is Elaine. Nesta is, she's Illyrian. I mean that as a compliment, but she's an Illyrian at heart. So there's no excuse for her behavior. Yeah, me too. I'm also Illyrian at heart. I'm not, like, at all. No, you're, you got, you're an You think so? Give me my leathers. I mean, I'd look great in leathers. You would. Don't get me wrong. But then, you imagine them in the battlefield just like, ree, ree. Oh, of, as the leather squishes? Every outfit I'm putting together for uh, all of the stuff coming up. Just oh. like, I don't know how any, you can't even bend your you knees. You can't move. Silly, but it is sexy. Yes. Um. And while I agree with, with Reese that Nesta is Illyrian at heart, it's another time where they're all just babying Elaine. Like, Elaine couldn't have helped. She's just helpless. She can't. Hold her to a higher standard. She can handle it. Maybe we will find that out uh, like later on when we get her book that she resents that. She just leans into it because they all act like May she can't well. do anything. She can't fight it. I mean, if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah. Um, he begins to wrap his arms around her and they continue their talk, but now it's on the bond. Feyre is silent for a bit and he asks... Thought for a thought, Feyre, darling. I smiled at the request, the old game between us. She goes on to tell him about the meeting with Racina. That's my name. And her invitation to join her to paint. 
He asks why she doesn't sound excited about it. And she admits that she feels selfish wanting to paint for her to lounge and paint around when there are still people suffering in Valaris. He disagrees, of course, and correctly points out to her that painting for a few hours won't change that or make it worse for anyone. They continue to engage in intimate partner talk about their feelings, their worries. Reese brings up that it's her birthday on solstice, so she better expect two presents. She groans, but he says, You were born on the longest night of the year. His fingers again stroked down my back. Lower. You were meant to be at my side from the very beginning. He begins to seduce her, stroking her body and whispering about the time she winnowed. And he begins whispering about the time she winnowed for the first time. You thinking about the seduction right now? You feeling it? I am. How he was so proud but so distracted by her tackling him in the snow. Because she was, her body is on top of his body. He confesses that he still can't believe he gets to have her. She then confesses to wanting him all the way back under the mountain, even though she couldn't admit it to herself. He flips her onto the bed and whispers that he wants a week with her in this bed as he continues to tease her. Then they begin to get very adult. Wow, bobble, bobble. My core pounded, sister to my thunderous heartbeat. (laughs) The need to have him buried inside me, to have him as if in mockery of those twin beats within me. A knocking rattled the bedroom door. Just so you're aware. Moore chirped from the other side. We do have to go soon. Reese let out a low growl that skittered over my skin, his hair slipping over his brow as he turned his head toward the door. Nothing but predatory intent in his glazed eyes. We have 30 minutes. He said with remarkable smoothness. And it takes you two hours to get dressed. (laughs) Moore quipped through the door. A sly pause. And I'm not talking about (laughs) Feyre. He laughs and shoos Moore away. He tells Feyre he's going to get her later. As in, I'm going to fuck you. I'm going to bury myself inside of you. And goes off to the bathroom to to run a bath. Feyre follows shortly after and finds him sitting there. And when she puts her hand in... Finds the water to be ice cold. Because he's gay. Because he's, he's got to get rid of his boner. <laughs> he's got to get rid of his boner. <laughs> Before going to the hewn city, the last thing you need is, is to be all, boner. yeah, man. Just be like, oh, Kier, I'm sorry. Oh, don't look at it. <laughs> Next up, we're going to start with an introduction to Morgan's little noggin. Ooh, we're get side of her brain. I love being inside all of their brains. I do too. I want want more of their brains. Yes. I forgot there was really. You're going to get it next time. I forgot there was only five perspectives, I think, in this book. I thought, from my head, I thought there was more people. Yeah. But we still need to, we get a little bit of as in the bonus chapter. Yes. But I want to hear, I want to hear more from. More, I want to hear Amarin's thoughts. Mm. I want to hear from some of the side characters' thoughts. I also want more just um, Amarin, Vary, and Bang sessions, please. Yeah. If we're already putting in orders. I don't know if Sarah's like, taking like to... a comment box uh, yeah, or anything. Yeah, because we're putting this stuff in, and we would like to be held. I mean, we want it. We want more of it. We want more of the sex. Mm. More sex from everyone. Get all me. around, a round of sex. She is round of sex for all, round of sex for all. 
We have to get out of here. I'm going nuts. I'm defying gravity. Mm. Please read up until chapter six. Morrigan. Hey, babies! For more fairy talk and hot touch, join us every week here on LPN Deep Dive's Akatar, available wherever you get your podcasts. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find?